Before we get into the sermon, let's pray. God, I ask that you would bless our time of fellowship. This has been something that has not been approached lightly. We've taken a look at your word, Lord. We've taken a look at what Jesus models in the Lord's Supper. We've seen the fellowship that the the church has and had. We see the fellowship that the disciples had with one another, how close they were, how intimate they were with each other. We're asked, Lord, that we would be open to one another, that we'd bear one another's burdens, that we would pray for one another. Lord, we ask that this would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alrighty, so... As we are continuing in the Gospel of John, we are approaching chapters 13 through 17. So in chapters 13 through 17, Jesus, he has his, what is sometimes called the farewell speech or the farewell discourse with his disciples, and it kind of seems like Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. And it's interesting that the coming chapter, or the end of our chapter in chapter 12, the last block of text we're dealing with, there's a focus on Jesus's words. And then the next chapters, chapters 13 through 17, have by far the most of Jesus' words. Right? There's, a, there's a focus on Jesus' words at the end of chapter 12, chapters 13 through 17. Jesus talks a whole lot. So maybe there's an intentional transition there. And I tell you all this just so you can anticipate what's to come and anticipate this transition as we look forward to chapters 13 through 17. And one thing that I want you to be aware of as we move forward is that the, in 1 John, the letter of 1 John, which was written by the same author of the Gospel of John, in that letter, he has a whole lot to say that seems directly related to what Jesus says, what Jesus teaches in chapters 13 through 17 in the Gospel of John. So I say this because I, I think what we're going to do is we're going to preach through, we're going to preach through chapters 13 through 17 of the Gospel of John. We're going to take a pause on the Gospel of John, then we're going to go to the letter of 1 John to see how it relates, how it connects to the Gospel. All this being said, go on to chapter 12. Gospel of John, chapter 12, we'll look at verses 37 through 50. And one thing we see here, where there's a focus on belief, and then John has some quotations from Isaiah. And then I think because of the quotations of Isaiah and because of Jesus' fulfillment of those quotations, we see the means. We see the means of the belief, and then we see the end of belief. Right? So this being said, John chapter 12, verse 37. Though they had done so many signs before him, before them, they still did not believe him. Now our first thought should be why? Right? Jesus has done so many signs, yet they do not believe. John begins to answer why in verse 38. So that, or in order that, the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So why? Why don't they believe? Well, because it's been prophesied. That's what John says. That's why he draws this quotation from Isaiah. He quotes from Isaiah 53, of course, the suffering servant passage. And before that chapter in Isaiah 53, we have Isaiah 52 about the coming salvation. And then Isaiah 53 details through whom that salvation comes. So based on the context, so based on the context of John quoting this passage from Isaiah, John quotes a passage directed at Jews. Right, so the book of Isaiah was directed, it was written to a rebellious people of God. They're turning away from God. And as we know in our gospel, we have a lot of unbelieving Jews. 
Right? Jesus, their Messiah, has come to them, yet they do not believe. As John 1, verse 11 says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So we have this book, John quotes from, where God is addressing his rebellious people of Israel. In our Gospel of John, John is addressing, in part, a rebellious people of Israel who did not receive Jesus, their Messiah. Verse 39 and chapter 12 continue. Therefore, therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, now let's stop here for a second. Not only did they not believe, they could not believe. They are unable to believe. Why is that? Again, I think John and Isaiah answers this, verse 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal him. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. God has blinded them, hardened their hearts. That's why they could not see. That's why they could not believe. Now, why would God do that? But upon first reading this, you might be a little shocked. They could not believe. Why? Because God has blinded them. Because God has hardened their hearts. Why would God do that? Doesn't that seem a little unjust? Seems like they have a reason for not believing, right? If God hardened their heart, if God blinded them, that seems like a good reason for them not to believe. A good excuse. One word, context. Right? This word is very important when we're approaching Scripture. Context, context, context. Isaiah chapter 6 is what John quotes from here in verse 40. The whole context of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is important. As I just said, Isaiah was written to. Isaiah is addressing a rebellious people of God, and he specifically quotes from Isaiah 6 verse 10. We're going to go to Isaiah. I'm going to read the whole text here. Isaiah chapter 6, not the whole book. I just want to clarify that. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. There are a few things I want to focus on here because the context of Isaiah 6 is important. Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1, I want you to focus on verses 9, 13, and 10. Right? 10 is specifically the verse that he quotes from. But Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Pay close attention to this verse, verse 9. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. See, these people, they had God's words coming in their ears, but they didn't understand. They kept on seeing, but they did not perceive. Why? Because of their rebellion. They are rebellious people of Israel. Verse 10, this is what specifically John quotes in verse 40. Make the heart of the people dull, and their ears heavy. 
and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and land, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it'll be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is filled. The holy seed, its stump. Now pay close attention to that verse there. I promise you, this is, hopefully this is going to tie together. So God pronounces judgment on his rebellious people of Israel because of their rebellion, because they've turned away from God. He hardens their hearts. And then what's left is a stump. God pronounces judgment on them. What's left is a stump. In other words, a remnant. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, you hear a lot about a remnant that remains. Isaiah chapter 11 is directly connected to this. Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 2, then we'll skip down to verse 5. That says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So from this stump, God has pronounced judgment on, the, on Israel. There's a stump left. And from this stump, from the stump of Jesse, Jesse, of course, being the father of King David and Jesus being a descendant of King David. So Jesus is this stump. Now, maybe I've lost you at, or this shoot that comes from the stump. Now, maybe I've lost you. But let me tie this together. John, he quotes from Isaiah. He quotes passages, he quotes scripture from Isaiah directed, directed at the rebellious people of God because of their rebellion. God blinds them, God hardens their hearts, and as a result of God's hardening, from a stump comes a shoot. And from the stump comes a righteous shoot that bears fruit. And go back to John chapter 12, as he says here, John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Right, so John understands that Isaiah is looking forward to Jesus. Isaiah is looking forward to Jesus. God's work through the rebellion of Israel has brought about his purpose, his work in Christ. The rebellion, their unbelief, was a means to belief, to salvific belief in Jesus. As we know in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? The world, not just the Jews, not just Israel, not just his chosen people from the old covenant. No, he loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, Israel's rebellion, their unbelief was a means that God worked through to bring about salvific belief in Jesus Christ. Continue on chapter 12, verses 42 through 43. Nevertheless, many even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So some of them, they, they believe, but they're a little bit afraid. They don't profess their belief because of the social implications. They're going to be put out of the synagogue. They've already pronounced this. They said they're going to kick out anybody who's following this, this Messiah, this supposed Messiah. They're going to kick anybody out who follows him. Afraid of the social implications. Come on, I know that we've all been there. I'm not going to act like I've never been there. I'm also not going to act like I won't ever be there again. Or maybe sometimes we're so zealous like Peter, Lord, I'm never going to deny you, Lord. What do you mean I can't go with you? I can go there. 
Right? Sometimes we fool ourselves. We've got to be honest. We've got to be honest. There are times when we, like Peter, are not able to go work Jesus is. True growth comes from really being honest about that. Don't be overly zealous. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can go always where Jesus is. We continue on in the next block of text here, verses 44 through 50. Uh, We're going to get to this ultimate end of belief. But verse 44 says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And it might seem a little bit confusing at first, but it seems like he's just saying, you're not just believing in me. Right? Belief in me is not just about me. If you believe in me, you believe in the Father. On the flip side, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe the Father. Because whatever you make of him, whatever you make of Jesus is what you make of the Father. Right? You don't love Jesus, you don't love the Father. You don't follow Jesus, You don't follow the Father. Jesus is abundantly clear that he is the exclusive way to God the Father. And he kind of reiterates this in verse 45. He says, And whoever sees me, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. On the flip side, you don't see Jesus, you don't see the Father. You're looking at at Muhammad, you're not looking at the Father. You're looking at Buddha, you're not looking at the Father. You're looking at any, any, any world religious leader that you want to think of, any other religion that you want to think of, any other false god that you want to think of. If you're looking at them, if you're looking at an idol, you're not looking at the Father. You've got to look to Jesus. You have to see Jesus in order to see the Father. Verses 46 through 47 continue on. It says, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light. So whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to, the, come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, one thing many people don't recognize, maybe for a few reasons, maybe because of their hardness of hearts, maybe because we Christians aren't always good at representing Jesus, but one thing many people don't realize, Jesus did not come for the purpose of judging. Jesus did not come to judge them. He came for the purpose of salvation. As John 3, John 3, verses 17 through 21. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does or practices wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does or practices what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in or by God. The thing is, without Jesus, without the work that God has accomplished in Jesus, we're all condemned. Without him, we are all condemned countless times, really. So so many times in the Gospel of John, Jesus has spoken words of life. John chapter 11, John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In John 10, verse 9, I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 6, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 54 That says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And that's not an exhaustive list. Jesus has spoken words of life. Imagine you're in the middle of the street. Imagine you're standing out in the middle of the street right outside, and there's a car flying right at you. And you hear somebody yell, get out of the way! Are you going to say, don't judge me? Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, believe in me. Jesus says, come eat, drink, that you may have life. See, those are not words that, that are condemning you. Those are words of salvation, and Jesus continues. Verse 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. His purpose is not judgment. He has spoken words of life. Jesus is not responsible. Jesus is not responsible for whether or not somebody responds, receives his words. As we close here, verses 49 and 50, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Focus on this verse, verse 50. And I know that his commandment, his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. That is the end of belief. Through the means of the rebellious people of Israel, God accomplished his purpose of salvation through Jesus, the end of belief being eternal life. And I draw your attention back to John 3.16. Of course, this text, of course, being the most memorized verse maybe in Scripture, but for good reason. It's very central. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Through the means of a rebellious people, God sent his son for the world, that whoever believes, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this is not some distant promise. That's hard for us to get sometimes, but this is not some distant promise. Sometimes we talk of heaven as if we're we're just waiting for someday, we'll get there and we'll have eternal life finally. But that's not what Jesus says. He's not telling you, hey, you you gotta wait until you get to heaven to have eternal life. This is not a distant promise. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, present tense, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever lives and believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, as Jesus says. It's not some distant future promise. I know it's hard to understand. Maybe it's hard to really trust that. Because we're we're in a physical body. We know we're going to die. But Jesus promises you 
presently that you can have eternal life. That though you die, you live. So receive him. Believe in him as we stand and sing.